a playlist original. Just watch me. The medium is the message. Proof is a proof. What kind of proof? It's a proof. It has no core identity. Smashed potatoes are no gravy. You know what I'm saying? Speaking uh, moistly on them. Hello and welcome to Just Watch Me. I'm Kate. And I'm Liv. And today on the show, we have, spoiler alert, the winner of Season 7 of MasterChef Canada, Christopher Sioux. Having captured the hearts of Canadians on MasterChef Canada in Season 2, Christopher has made his uh, baking dreams a reality with his new bakery, Dan Go. Thank you so much, Christopher, for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So we want to start at the beginning of your journey and tell us a little bit about how you found your love of baking in the first place. Sure. Um, I feel like I've, I've, I've said this story a million times now, but, you know, it, it started when I was a kid. Um, my dad used to make us cheesecakes when, you know, on me and my brother's birthdays. Um, and it wasn't like it was a special recipe or anything. It was just kind of like off the back of the Philadelphia cheese, you know, cream cheese package kind of thing. That's a good recipe though. Um, it, it is, it is. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say otherwise. It's a delicious recipe, but you know, he's, he's not a baker, but, um, it, it was sort of like that moment where I had it and, um, it was just so meaningful, right? Because it's not just about the, the cake itself, but also the fact that somebody, you know, my dad went out of his way to try to learn it and make it and, just so that we could enjoy it and give us something special. I think that moment really stuck with me. And I think that was sort of like the real beginning of when I started baking and probably the real beginnings of Dango, which is the, you know, the name of my bakery right now. And what does it mean, Dango? Yes. Yeah. So Dango actually means uh, cake in Chinese. It's like a direct romanization of the, of the pronunciation. Amazing. Awesome. Um, for those who haven't seen the show, they might not know that you're actually a pharmacist. Um, can you tell us a little bit about I don't know, maybe the relationship between baking and pharmacy, if there is one for you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I always say baking is really just science, right? I mean, mm-hmm. let's be real. It's all about, I mean, baking powder is all for science. But I mean, thinking about how things how things rise, you know, even putting eggs in your pancake batter, you know, the protein is going to affect the texture of it and how fluffy it is or how dry it is, you know, whichever or. But it, it's completely science. And I think that's part of what... Um, drew me into baking so much. You know, when I was studying high school and whatever, I, I took all the science and maths and, you know, that was my thing. And I loved science. I loved studying, understanding biology. I loved understanding chemistry and so on and so forth, which is why I ended up studying pharmacy. Um, and I think, you know, baking really just took my love for food and my love for science and just put them together and canals them so perfectly. And even today, there's so many things that I learned in pharmacy school and or in my undergrad that I actually use uh, in our recipes. Um, you know, for example, we, I really like using, um, sort of like, um, oh, a very popular fiber supplement, um, which some people know as better fiber, um, but I actually like using it in some of the pastries because I mean, first of all, it's, it's, it's healthy. Um, but it also gives great, um, sort of like, um, freeze stability properties because it helps prevent ice crystals from forming. It helps great, give it a great texture because it has a little bit of a thickening and it also dissolves really smooth. So it doesn't affect the final sort of texture and mouthfeel of your product. So, you know, it's like things like that. I, I always try to figure out how can I, I guess, use my previous background and my knowledge into current day recipes and try to modernize them, but also make them my own and make them better. That is so cool. <laughs> 
So we love to hear about the behind the scenes of um, of the shows. So I'm curious about what your the casting process was like for you, and if you had auditioned multiple times before you got on, or or what happened there. Absolutely. So you know when season one first happened, um, I was I was still in school at the time too. I actually applied for season one, didn't get on. Um, season two rolled around. You know, I heard it on I don't remember which radio station I was listening to, and I was like, you know what whatever let's go for it who knows where this is gonna go right so season two came around i was in my i think third year of pharmacy at the time i went for the auditions i was lined up outside the uh convention center in toronto and i remember i was just standing there in line holding my little cooler with my three pastries inside wondering if these are just gonna melt in the heat of the sun because it's like smack down in the middle of summer it's like july or august or something and i'm just standing there and you know, just because there's a million people in line, like the, this line stretches down two or three blocks. You know, and they tell you to come at 9 a.m., but really you don't get in until 2 p.m. So you're just standing out all there, and it's super intimidating, right? There are people here with, um, you know, somebody was was um, dragging one of those, you know, those garden wagons that that, that you use. You know what? You might be transporting like bags of dirt on or something, and it was filled with fresh herbs. And I was like, wow, these like some of these people are really like really quite serious about about this audition, which I mean, rightfully so, but um, I, I just remember feeling very intimidated. I had no idea what was going to happen. But, you know, um, you know, long behold, <laughs> after some time, um, they, I guess they liked what I had to offer. And maybe it's an interesting twist to see somebody who is so um, heavily uh, on the baking side of things, but also with a little bit of science mixed in. Um, and I, I got on season two. And uh, I think if anybody's watched Master Chef, I ended up at top five on season two. Um, and then that was sort of that. After that, I just did my own thing, kept pursuing my own thing. Um, and then season seven rolled around, the most recent season, Back to Win. And they asked me if I was interested in coming back. So it was actually an invite. I didn't have to audition again, fortunately. <laughs> Look at you. What did you, so the first stage, so you brought, you had to, you brought a pastry that you made. Was that what you had to do when you were when you were auditioning? Like initially, you people brought dishes that they had made. That's right. So the first step is an open casting call. Anybody can show up. You can submit an online application previously if you want, um, but it doesn't really make much of a difference. I think if you submit an online profile initially and it fits sort of like specific, maybe a specific profile they're looking for, you may be able to fast track your process. But for the most part, everybody attends the open casting call regardless. You get there, you have your dish. Um, all they tell you is it better be room stable. It better be okay for, you know, four or five hours. I was going to say, like, was it a hot day? <laughs> was there all this, like, these, like, stinky oh, foods, was, like, in this line? I can only imagine oh what that was God, like. It was, you couldn't even imagine, like, how many things I uh, see. People had boxes. Like, somebody was holding a cardboard box filled with different um like uh, equipment like there was a torch inside there's a little <laughs> water bath inside like he was planning to do all of this i'm talking to him and, and i don't remember i mean i don't remember his name but um he was telling me how he's gonna finish everything last minute he's gonna finish cooking it torch it off and plate it i was just like wow that's very <laughs> ambitious <laughs> i mean wow i, I feel like i, I, I should have thought of something i feel like i'm underprepared now <laughs> I don't think um, he had the time management skills to go far in the competition if he thought he was going to do all that when he got in the door. Yeah, so I, then, I, I, I unfortunately did not see him later. But. <laughs> so I don't think there, any of us did either. Was there a stage then where you had to do a live cook for the audition? 
So not yet. So the first Obikazen call, okay, so you, let's say you're, you're lining up in line, you finally get there, you put your dish down, and you've got, um, basically in a room, they, they, they section out people into rooms. So there's like three rooms at once with like probably, I'm going to say 30 to 40 people inside. And you're lined up next to each other, like in a classroom with your dish there. And it's got your name tag, it's, you've got a little number, and they have three or four judges just walking in another room. Usually they're like local chefs or um, people who work on the production team who are just walking up and down, tasting your food, asking you questions. And it's super nerve wracking because you don't, you don't really know. You're, just, you know, you're trying to put on like sort of your best behavior, quote unquote, but, <laughs> you know, and trying to impress them. But you have no idea what's happening. You have no idea what they're looking for. So you just stand there and then they, they tell you after about half an hour or so, they tasted everything. They let you know that, you know, you guys go outside. If we call your name, please stay behind. And if they call your name, you stay behind and um, they bring you into like a secondary part, which is sort of like an on-camera interview. So the on-camera interview person, um, they'll be watching through the camera and they'll give you a mystery box and they'll ask you, what would you make with this in one hour? And you just talk about your dish, talk about what you would make. Um, and then once again, they send you away and tell you, you'll be contacted maybe in five weeks, wow. <laughs> you don't know you, right. You don't know. But if you, if you do get contacted at that point, that was when, um, they selected the top 50 for at least in season two, we still had top 50. So the top 50 contestants would get, then get shipped off to, uh, you know, we either get driven in or flown in or whatever, if you're from other parts of the country, but usually the filming is done in Mississauga or Toronto. And, um, we'd go to the set. Um, from there, we would actually do the live audition and we would do the cooking in front of the judges. You would have one hour. You could bring, you, you basically do your grocery run. You could bring up to five pieces of equipment, uh, you know, whatever home equipment you might have, because let's say you have a special rolling pin you want to use, or you've got some special tool you like to use at home. You can bring up to five things and then you're just making it, um, you have one hour to make it at the studio. Then you present to the judges, you talk to them. It's super nerve wracking. They're like rapid fire. They're like doing quick fire questions on you while you're trying to finish up your dish in front of them. So you're supposed to create a dish, not only create the dish, but it has to have elements that you can show off in front of the judges, whether you're gonna flambe something, torch something, you know, there needs to be fireworks. And while you're trying to get this right and make three of these dishes, they are firing questions <laughs> continuously. Um, it's a, it is an incredibly nerve wracking experience, but if you finally make it past that, you get to go to top 14. And, um, or sorry, actually, sorry, actually, my apologies. We went to top 25 first, then they did their first real challenge of the show, which then kind of called us from top 25 to the top 16, I believe. And that was when the competition started. Wow. What a process. Long. <laughs> it's an extremely long process. Um, you know, I, I remember just telling myself, whatever happens, happens, right? It's best not to stress out too much about these things. <laughs> For sure. So as you said, we first saw you at MasterChef Canada in season two, where you were in top five and you were brought back for an all-star season in season seven, which you won. Um, can you talk us through that kind of having that second chance to become MasterChef? Like, did it feel like the stakes were even higher or did you show up, you know, knowing what to do and just feeling ready to win? I definitely felt like the stakes were higher for sure. I mean, I felt like I had so much to prove. I, I mean, to be honest, when I left season two, um, it kind of haunted me. I kind of felt like I could have gone further. I could have done better. Why didn't I do this? You know, you have all those little regrets 
uh, in retrospect, right, of, of what you could have done differently. And, um, you know, I just kept thinking, but, um, you know, I always believe that if you, if, if you work hard, you kind of just do your own thing um, and keep pushing at it, someday it'll come back and, and you will get that second chance. And, and it did in this case. Um, so when they asked me to go back, I spent probably about two months um, just practicing every single day in the kitchen, um, probably like eight to 10 hours a day. Um, making different dishes, trying on different techniques, but just trying to get um, as fast and as familiar and comfortable as possible so that I could do whatever challenges were thrown my way. Um, I would actually order those, uh, you know, those meal basket kits that you can, you know, whatever good food or whatnot, mm, you know, yeah. all these different versions. I would order them and then I would take the recipe cards and throw them out and make it whatever I could from what was in that box. Cool. So it's like your own mystery box. Yeah, and then I would see how close it actually compared to the recipe card afterwards. Oh, that's so cool. So I'm I'm curious then, did you have any advance notice of what the challenges would be? Like, did you truly just come up with your recipes in the spot in an hour? Yeah, I would say 90%. There were the finale, obviously, they give you time to prepare that. Um, but for the majority of all the challenges... Um, if I didn't have a recipe that fit the challenge in the top of my head already, it was just improvise, 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 improvise on the spot. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And, and they don't show you, you get about 10 minutes to think, okay. but you know, it's not a lot. It's kind of like Ooh, 10 you, minutes. I know <laughs> you, you should have an idea. If you don't have an idea, you're probably not coming up with one in 10 minutes. <laughs> wow. Um, what was the most difficult challenge on maybe in season mm. seven for you? Oh, I think the vegan challenge was was actually the hardest one for me. I very, very rarely go vegan. Like vegetarian, sure. But vegan, very rare for me. Um, and, and in particular, this vegan challenge was quite restrictive. So I, I think another interesting thing is like, and, and I feel like maybe this should change the filming up a little bit, is I didn't always tell you what the exact challenge is. So before we cook, we actually get a rule, right? We get, sorry, they read the rules to us. So there are certain conditions that you must meet during the cook. And for example, in the vegan challenge, we had to use in our dish a seed, a nut, um, a grain, a protein alternative, which is limited to like tofu, tempeh, or something else. And there was a fifth requirement. Oh, um, and uh, margarine. All five components had to be used in your dish. Always a little product placement in there that <laughs> yeah, throws, right. throws a wrench in. <laughs> I won't throw which, which particular brand, but you guys get the point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, it's very interesting because they're just like, oh, it's a vegan challenge. I mean, if it was just a vegan challenge, there would have been a lot more alternatives in a way. But, you know, you had to have all five of these different elements in your plate. And they didn't really, they didn't say that on TV, which I thought was kind of, you know, I think it would have made it more interesting to watch. Yeah, I think the viewer would probably like appreciate knowing that it's mm. not just do it fast, not just do it something that tastes good, but like they, sh- yeah. I think the viewer should know all the restrictions, like and how challenging it actually is. Yeah, so yeah, I don't know why they would leave that out. Yeah, it was it was extremely difficult, and I remember I was trying to do a dessert because I really wanted to do desserts. I was just thinking all the time that you know desserts kind of my thing if I can pull it off. But vegan dessert is not my thing. And definitely not when there's like so many grains and nuts and seeds involved. Like I was, anyways, I was not happy with that challenge, but <laughs> I, I pulled through. So, <laughs> okay. Well then what was your favorite challenge? We'll okay, throw it on that. 
Um, favorite challenge, favorite challenge, definitely the uh, um, winners dessert challenge. So when they had all the desserts from the different winners, and mm-hmm. you got to choose one of them, even though I got last pick, but that was for sure my favorite because I have probably a, a whole list of different desserts in my head already prepared, and I knew I could adapt so many of them to whatever the challenge was. Um, so when they had that challenge come out and they said it was desserts only and, um, there were restrictions in that one too, which is pretty interesting that they didn't mention their restriction was that your dessert had to contain a minimum of five different components. Um, so what does that mean? What, so like, what would be a one component? So for example, if I whip some cream, that would be one component. If I cook some fruit, that would be one component, but basically your dish had to have at least five things in it. If you bake a cake, that's one component, but kind of like that. Wow. Oh, okay. So they didn't mention that, but you know, it, it, it sets the difficulty, um, you know, a good portion higher because then you can't just be like, oh, you know, I, I, I made a cake and poured a sauce on top. You know, I mean, I baked a sponge <laughs> cake and I poured a sauce on top and that was it. You couldn't, you couldn't do that. You had to make it a little more complicated, a little more sophisticated. And yeah, they didn't, they didn't say, they didn't announce that, but it was, you know, it, it, it was something that you had to consider. For sure. I'm just wondering, like in an all-star competition like this with just such talented people, um, maybe it was from the start, but I want to know at what point for you did you realize, like, did it sink in? Oh, I I could, I could really win this. Oh, never, never. (laughs) I'm going to be a hundred percent. Really? I never once thought that the entire, the entire season. I remember thinking to myself, wow, how incredibly talented all of these other people are. I mean, it was completely different from season two because I remember season two, there were a lot of times when I was cooking and just thinking like, oh, I just don't have, I just have to not be the worst and I should be okay. Whereas this time I was like, I have no idea what's going to happen. I literally made the best dish I could possibly have done in one hour. And I think I might still get kicked out. Wow. Like I had, I had no idea. I had no idea. And even when I got to the finale um, and we were doing a finale dish, I was like, I, I was standing up there and I was thinking, I'm, there's no way I'm going to win. There's no way I'm going to win. I feel like my dishes were not good enough, not strong enough. Like, I feel like they, the other competitors have better dishes than me. I mean, that being said, maybe I'm just doubting myself because you can't actually eat their food during the cook, right? But, yeah. you know, I, I never once thought because everybody was just so incredibly talented and just so good. Um, I, I had no idea. There was someone who, as they were leaving, said, I think that uh, Christopher doesn't believe in himself, but he can do it. Was it Andre who said that? I, it was Andre. Yes, yeah. it was Andre. <laughs> your face, when they shot to your face, it was just priceless. You were just like so excited. <laughs> it was so sweet. That is really sweet. Who was your who was your best pal on your season? Um, oh, that's tricky. I, uh, you know, I, I think maybe it would be Andre. I think it is Andre actually, because, you know, I think we got along the best, but it, it, it was kind of interesting because when I got there, Andrew was also there. Right. And Andrew is also a really close friend of mine because we were on the same season together previously. Mm-hmm. So it was great seeing him as well. And, and I mean, I love Andrew, the way he approaches food and his just like tenacity and enthusiasm towards it is, is amazing. He, he's like, if you meet him in real life, he's a never give up, go getter kind of person. Very intense sometimes. 
Do you guys have a group chat where you exchange like cooking things? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think less so cooking and more just like, you know, sometimes humor and comedy and something just random things that happen in your day. So just memes, yeah. like <laughs> Yeah, basic. Yeah, exactly. Just just memes. Very variations of memes about my day. <laughs> I love that. I definitely felt like that every turn, like the maybe it was the producers and the hosts were like trying to kind of pit everyone against each other and be like, who do you think's the toughest competition? But like genuinely everyone just seemed to like each other and kind of be friends and nobody was really giving into it, which I thought was kind of nice. I think it was hard because I think the, the reality was that everybody felt like somebody else was very strong. I mean, obviously I think everybody had something they were better at, like something that they, they specialized more in. But you didn't know and you didn't know what challenge was going to come up. You would just as easily be eliminated in the next challenge. It was something you'd never made before. For um, sure. Yeah. So, so it, it was, um, I think people were just being honest. It wasn't as though we were all just trying to be nice guys and <laughs> not step <laughs> on anyone's toes. Um, speaking of the hosts pitting you against each other, the hosts can be very harsh at times but they're mm. they also are really generous with praise and positive feedback well at least it looks that way to us um are they really that nice in person <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about the I, hosts well i have to say first off this season they were i think nicer than they were in previous seasons i have to say i think they gave out a lot more praise um this season that i, I i'm not entirely sure if maybe it was part of the production planning or they were actually being truthful. Sometimes it's hard to tell. I think they are all very, you know, they're all very genuine people. They always tell the truth. Um, and, and they I feel like you're not saying something. <laughs> I can, no, I can no, you know what it, it is? The thing is, they, t- they, they tell you a lot on the show, but it gets cut out, mm-hmm. right? You don't see it. Production cuts out to the point where you only get to hear what they sort of want to forward the story. But the judges give their full opinion from the positives to the negatives, the whole thing. Um, but, you know, if somebody won a challenge, you might not hear any of the negatives, right? Um, yeah. It's sort of just like, how do they write the story to make it sound better and flow smoother? But I think the, gen- the judges are being, are being honest. Did it bother you every time Michael, like, like, teed it up to be like, this is the worst dish of never i loved it when i didn't do it well but you know how yes i I know what you mean yeah he would always katie you have to redo it how how, what i've just Uh, butchered that i think you're thinking about claudio actually claudio is like i don't like this dish i love it it. (laughs) yes 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 yes, yes. oh that's what i'm talking about oh my god this is the best dish i've had this season it's the best dish of seven seasons. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like oh, uh, Christopher, I think he said that to you. He said this isn't the best dessert this season. Of, this of is, seven, yeah, it was the best seasons, dessert yes. of seven seasons. Yeah, yeah. I, would, I would take that. <laughs> did it drive you crazy though when they did that time and time again and you were like on I the edge hate of the it. seat? Yeah. <laughs> I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Why? It's so unnecessary. You know what? We are all re- I'm already going to have a heart attack, you know, without yeah. going through that extra step. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. That's too funny. So before we let you go, we have to talk to you about um, Dango and what's happening with, you know, your temporary shutdown. What's next for you at the bakery? Tell us everything. For sure. So um, very fortunately, the the bakery has been able to stay open um, just given the fact that we're a takeout business. Uh, Unfortunately, the cafe, I have closed it down. Um, 
I actually converted the spot because I'm still renting it into another kitchen to make more cake. <laughs> but, um, you know, I don't know if in the foreseeable future I will be reopening the cafe. I loved it. And I think it was really a different part of me because I also loved cooking savory food as well. Um, and it was kind of a way for me to explore that. And I always just, I just love brunch and having a cafe too. You know, I like being able to come in in the morning and ask for coffee. <laughs> but it's lovely to I have think... your own cafe. You should all try it. <laughs> It's, it's fantastic, you know. I get my own little corner spot. Get an americano. <laughs> Feels great. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> no, I kid. I mean, it, it, it's nice, but um, it's um, it was a ton of work as well, right? Because I did a lot of the cooking and and being on the line, especially in a smaller style cafe, we're just trying to turn over a lot of food, but still do decent quality food. Um, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of love. Um, and I can honestly say, compared to the baking side, um, I felt like it was a way more strenuous. Um, mm. I felt a lot more tired and, and, and honestly, the margins are slim. It's extremely difficult, but you know, now, now we've sort of, so I don't know when I'll reopen it maybe in a year or so. We'll see Maybe when the pandemic fully goes away with the bakery, we are opening a new location actually in Richmond Hill. So hopefully awesome. that will be opening, um, in August after all of the pandemic delays and whatnot, we're already delayed by probably two or three months now, but hopefully that's done and then super excited to announce we have another store coming up in mississauga later this year oh wow can't wait so um fingers crossed they should be ready for november mid-november amazing amazing well we can't wait to visit um what's obviously you're opening other locations anything else next for you you want to share anything else you want to plug um no, I mean, I, I hope that everybody who gets good. I hope everybody who listens to this gets a chance to come to Danko, honestly. Um, so many of the products, and if you've seen our website and you've seen some of the things we make, they're like, it's a labor of love. You know, we put a lot of effort into the details and creating, we, we make everything in-house down to the cookie crumbs that cover the side of a cake. Um, and I, I always value those things because doing it yourself not only tastes better, but it, it also kind of, makes the product your own really makes you value the product and and all the effort you put into it and all the little steps and people might not be able to um always be able to see it but at least you know you're giving the customer a great product but we also of course make very cute stuff like we we spend so much time making i I don't know if you've seen we have a little tub pastry with a little chocolate duck on top we've got our little cheesecake in the shape of a block of pizza cheese with a little mouse chocolate mouse on top <laughs> I did see that. and yeah and, and all these things are, are made by hand a lot of them the faces are piped on um and i love doing that stuff because it just it brings a smile to your face and like i said i was just trying to recreate that moment i had when i was younger and making that moment a little more special and really making it so that people can remember it ah oh, that was such a beautiful full circle moment um, yeah, we can't but, say anything else or we'll yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate you being here. And um, I know that we will be appearing at your bakeries in as the soon fall as we can. once everything opens. Absolutely. Can't wait to meet you guys in person. Thank you so much for having me today. It was a pleasure. If you want to keep up with us in between episodes, you can follow us at Just Watch Me Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Send us your thoughts and feelings about the show at Just Watch Me Podcast at gmail.com. And it really helps us if you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. 
Thanks. See you next week.